and twos, ones and twos. Can so you bring that down a little and then point it up. There you go. Just keep the, you want to keep the top of the mic at the bottom of your lip. Okay. So yeah, like right there. All right. Perfect. You are, it's fucking weird, but it works. My hands get in the way, dude. No, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's the right distance and the right angle. Angle of the dangle is Ayo. right on. <laughs> Not trying to punch the microphone into space. Fair. Not today. Not today, Not again. Not, again. Not, Not today. Again. Don't want right, to. I'm impressed how much you got done in three days. I really am. I am impressive sometimes. <laughs> I am. I am. I am impressive yeah, sometimes. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, my sad fucking Charlie Brown tree, though, cracks me up. Dude, trees are. So John and I were thinking about getting one. Like I brought it up to him and we started to go look for trees. Mm-hmm. And goddamn, are they expensive? Because mm-hmm. we can't have a real one. Because mm. uh, mm. I won't clean it up and I'm allergic to pine. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's why I never have like pine cones in here or anything like that. Because if I'm in an enclosed space with pine, I'll start getting itchy and swelly and stuff. Ooh, don't do that. It's bad. Yeah, no. no but like the lowest price tree that we could find that was like adequate in both of our eyes was like 200 bucks. Yeah. And the ones I wanted were all like six or seven. Of like, course. Fucking, it's a bunch of plastic. What the fuck? Right. Um, but then it was like, all right, so we're going to drop 200 bucks on this. Then we have to get lights. Then we have to get ornaments. Then we have to get a tree skirt. So and we have to buy one of those pre-lit ones. But then what if it goes out? Then you're fucked. Right. And then on top of that, you guys have been through my house. Where the fuck is that going to go for 11 months out of the year? You need to just get yourself a little tabletop tree. Yeah, no, I could. Yeah, it's a little lady bitty little thing. But it, I just didn't. Festivus. Yeah. I'll, I'll just get a fucking stripper pole and put it in the middle of my living room. That'll be fun. Call it a Festivus pole. I'm here for that. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. I'll dance on it with the windows open. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, also, you will. I'm going to order fucking DoorDash. I'm starving. I thought John was bringing you food. He's going to be gone for a while. Oh. And I don't know where my phone is. Ooh. What a day. You are a mess. I am a fucking mess. I'm going to do it on my computer. Do it. Because shit works. Hopefully there's no porn on my screen. <laughs> It won't be because I don't look a part of my computer. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies. whammies. (laughs) 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 Oh, shit. Well, let's do this. Oh, we're recording. Oh, well then, fuck yeah. (laughs) How long have we been doing that? (laughs) Three minutes and nine seconds. (laughs) Well, fuck yeah then. Hello, welcome to Ghosts and Hoes. Ghosts and Hoes. Ghosts and Hoes, a paranormal podcast where we talk about all things spoopy, mm-hmm. cryptids, yep. motherfucking witchcraft, sometimes motherfucking murder most foul, yep. DoorDash, yeah. food. I think we're getting Petite Provence. Ooh. Y'all had that? Fancy. Oh, it's so good. Much fancy. What are you going to get? They have this baked egg thing. Ooh. It's it's not big. It comes in a little to go cup, but it's um, two poached eggs with mushrooms. Some I, I don't think it's a hollandaise sauce, but some kind of sauce on hash browns Ooh. with three little baguette slices huh. that are buttered. And I usually will get 
Actually, I'll order. Fuck yeah, French food. I'll order some pastries for the three of us. Oh boy. Oh, yeah, pastries. They, they have these uh, hazelnut cream pastries that have cream puffs on top. <gasps> Fucking the French dude. Oh. God damn it. Un- the, I have had an eclair in Paris, and this shit is like right up there. Ugh. God, oh, fuck, I just punched my own microphone. And that's why mine is this way. <laughs> I've got clear access. <laughs> so when you get real handsy when you mm-hmm. talk. But I can't I do that do. with yours because then you can't see anybody. No, and then I, that, that would be weird for, uh, yeah, no, I got to be able to see. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, let me get my glasses. Oh, and put them on this time. And put them on, yes. Yeah. Um, first of all. What? A shout out to our new patrons. <laughs> hey. Are we back, Owen? Catherine and... I Corinne, maybe, or Karen. I'm sorry. How's My, it spelled? It's C A R I N. And I have a friend that's that, Karen. I have a friend that has it spelled that way, and it's Corinne. Really? And then I have another friend that spells it with a Y, and it's Corinne. Well, let us and know, then, girl. Yeah. But either way, hey. Thank you. What up, buddy? All your stuff is ready to go. It's being taken by the mailman at some point today. Uh, also went to get the keys to our P.O. box, Ooh. or I guess it's technically not a P.O. box because it's an actual address. It's just a mailbox. Uh, but they are doing construction on part of the building, and our box happens to be right there in that part. Fucking of course. Uh, so if you've sent anything, we've not yet received it. Um, if it comes back to you. Send me a message, and I will give you an alternative address to send it to for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, shit. Yeah, because when I purchased the box for the year or whatever, um, they had to, they were going to have to replace it because the lock was broken. Okay. So they're like, we have to get it rekeyed, blah, blah, we're not going to charge you for it, that's our bad, so whatever. Great, okay. So I waited for like a month. And then when I went to pick it up, they're like, oh, yeah, uh, sorry. It hasn't been done yet because that half of the building is, um, we can't get to it right mm-hmm. now. Huh. So. That's stupid. Yeah. She was like, I checked and I don't think there's anything in there right now. I'm like, okay. All right, good. So well, that's yeah. that. Um, and also, I have snacks. Um, we have something to try. There are a few things because my mom sent some stuff, too. Is your, oh, that's right. Your mom listens. Yeah. Do we have backhoes as well? Well, that was it Okay. that I recalled. Uh, these, I don't know what they are. They don't say. They look like little pasta chips. I thought those were the little... That's weird. The little bugs from Spirited Away. <laughs> little soot sprites? Yes. Um, I don't... I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen Throw with Throw one these. at me. That one might be spicy because it's red. Ooh. Um, yeah, they, look, they just look like little chips. Like little circular... Chips. Yeah. What flavors? Is any of it in English? No. no. Oh, this just smells like a chip. Yep, that just smells like generic chip. Yeah. All oh, right. it tastes like those. Remember the picnic sticks? Like the little flat potato rectangles? Oh, yeah. Yep. That's what it tastes like. Yep. Yep. Are they the same, just in different packaging? Yeah, those are just straight up potato chips. Okay. So they're the same. Yep. The same. Um, do you want to guess what flavor this is? Because it's an actual flavor. Mustard. No. No. Lobster. Oh, do you want to know or do you want to try it? Try and it. guess. I want to try and guess. Yeah, okay. Guess. Ooh. 
No, it, one of the chips flew out and hit me in the face. <laughs> like I, thought a, you, I thought you were assaulted mm. by scent. No, no, no. <laughs> I love. They don't smell like anything. Plain fucking potato, so much. I love potato. Yeah, it doesn't smell like anything. Doesn't taste like anything either. Mm-mm. No, it's got a. What the fuck is it? Onion soup. Oh yeah, okay. that checks out. Yeah, no, that's yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, totally checks. I was like, that's silly. That's the thing. Onions, like when you make a soup. Oh God, there's more. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, and this one, we each get one. Is that gum? No, these are holiday, f- uh, holiday flavored jelly beans. So I figured since we did. Or Thanksgiving candy corn, Christmas jelly beans, but none of them are hatefully flavored. Okay, cool. They're all like normal. I think there is, let's see, there is. What was the one that you got? What? The, the, the hateful flavor. Oh, the jelly, jelly beans? beans? Like vomit or something? Yeah, they're oh, all God, bad. I don't remember. Uh, I don't. Oh, I, no, no, no. It was the rotten tuna. That, That's right. Fuck they, that flavor. It was like sardine. Fuck that was. flavor. And then rotten egg. Right uh-huh. in the ass. Uh, so these ones are pumpkin pie, eggnog, cranberry sauce, hot chocolate, and candy. Cake. I'm into literally all of that. And okay. then here is a kiss from my mom. Aww. Oh, what the? F- there it is. Hey, <laughs> thank you, Z's mom. Um, and are these then, the minty ones or the white chocolate ones? I don't know. I love the minty. And then ones. these the I had ones, to the candy cane ones. Candy cane kisses are the fucking best. They're real good. So I went to the world market because yes, I wanted to. Get some stuff. Yeah. The line. It's like birthday cake flavor. The line was a hundred years long. I did not realize that many people shopped at World Market. Right. Ever. I wouldn't either. Um, World Market's dope. It's just expensive. It's it dope, is. But I only I go there like randomly for like one or two things. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just like I'm like, ooh, a snack. So just in line, and I see these, and you know why when you see them, why I had to get them. So they're uh, they're Keo's Irish potato chips, Dope. small small batch. Into it. I'm gonna let you read that. Oh, okay. Oh. Those are gonna be bomb. Also, just because very uh, excited about those. All I saw was the giant words truffle butter, and I laughed because I remembered your face when you learned what that was. <laughs> The Urban Dictionary version of it, anyway. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a little gross. Little? Yeah. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, no. Oh, chip down. Chip down. There's nothing that can get to that part of the floor. Oh, smells so good. Oh, my God. I'm huffing the bag. Oh, yeah. Mm. Those are good. Those are fucking delicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God, I shouldn't order French food. <laughs> I don't Just care what load it says up on about salty me. Potatoes. Truffles are amazing. Oh, they're incredible. Love, love, love. Thank you for bringing good things. You're welcome. Thank you, she's mom. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Those mm. ones, though. Those are the real winners of today. Mm-hmm. And then some I'm gonna eat this whole fucking bag. Go for it. Um, and then jelly beans. I'm like, I'm normally not a fan. I don't know what it is, but every once in a while, I will like like the juicy pear mm-hmm. jelly bellies, which is funny because I hate pears. Oh, that's fair. Real quick. So boring. 
for the listener. And weirdly flavored. That's for the listener. <laughs> A little ASMR. So, I am going to go on record and say that I did see that Demi Lovato bullshit yeah. in the squad page, and now I'm trying to find it, and I can't. Real quick, I'm going to go grab my phone because I'm nervous. Okay. Oh, Christ. So, who posted that in there? It was Tara, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. No. Um. I, I, ugh. Mm, no. So, apparently, I... Now I can't find it, so I'm going to have to rant about this later. But something about Demi Lovato singing to spirits to help them with their trauma or something. Their past life trauma. I don't know. Um, Completely, thoroughly, and utterly fucking annoyed by it. Like, I was so annoyed when I saw it that I couldn't even read the article. So I left it at that. And now I can't find it because I'm not that talented at finding the squad page. So, any of you, did you find your phone? Yes. All right. Uh, nope. <laughs> nope, not at all. That's not my phone. <clears throat> you going through your jelly beans? Yep, I'm just getting them all out so everybody can try the... No, I just, I just recorded that pod and the producer maybe saying some shit, so I just want to make sure I... Prepared. All right. Jelly beans. I'm guessing the brown one is the hot chocolate. Yeah. That's probably going to be the best one. Tastes like chocolate. Mm-hmm. Yep. Winner. Red one's probably cranberry. Again, yes. Ooh. Found it. Oh, I like that. A cranberry one? Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm. Mm-hmm. Demi Lovato sings to ghosts to help them overcome trauma caused by sexism in a past life. Mm. Good for her. Yeah. Them. Uh-huh. Them. Uh, sure. Pumpkin pie? Yep. I don't want it. Oh, real perfumey. It's not bad. This kind of tastes like a candle. It doesn't taste like anything. Ooh, oh, there it is. Eggnog one's good, though. It's candly. Okay. I see eggnog and peppermint. Eggnog's good. Candy cane? I don't have that one. Ah. No, that's just that's the there peppermint. There are only two. Tastes mm. like a candy cane. I've eaten one. That's all I can do. I don't, I don't like sweet shit. I don't like too the much. eggnog one. I don't, you just don't like eggnog, though, I don't right? like eggnog. I love eggnog. This I actually, one, it's really good, actually. This one also tastes like a candle. Yep. Tastes, tastes like, like eggnog. eggnog. It tastes like a candle. Who goes first? Well, she's I raising, do. She's raising her hand. Y'all can't see it, though. I can't. You can't. I can't. I was taking a drink. I cannot. I you can't say no. jelly bean candle flavor in my mouth. Yeah, no, that's why I didn't put any of them. They weren't sweet. They just, the pumpkin pie and the eggnog back to back, it was like biting into a candle. Mm. Fair. Uh, Yeah, so our lovely listener Desiree asked in the squad page if I could match your epic list of Christmas shit from a few years ago with a (laughs) list of my own. Uh, I don't know if it'll be quite as epic, but I'm going to try. 
So this year, my gift to all of my favorite people, and myself, I bring unto you Christmas creatures from around the world. Ooh! Mm -hmm. Ugh, my mouth tastes like a soapy candle. <laughs> oh, not like the aftertaste of those. Mm -mm. So first, uh, from Austria and Central Europe, Krampus. Now, Danielle talked about Krampus a couple of years ago, but I thought I'd just give a brief recap for everyone, because I can't have a list of creepy Christmas entities without him. No, you can't. So, Krampus's origins are unclear, but it's believed that he originated sometime in pre-Christian Alpine traditions. Mm -hmm. uh, his appearance can be fairly open for interpretation, but the base is pretty much the same. Tall, bipedal, furry, goat-like man-demon, usually with horns and fangs. One thing I didn't realize, though, is that most images of Krampus depict him with one creepy human foot and one cloven hoof. Oh, yeah. Didn't I? I mean, I never really looked right at his feet in anything, but I was like, hmm, I'm going to pay attention and see. Um, Krampus was and is used as a means of scaring children into behaving around the holidays. Uh, because if you were naughty, Krampus would get you. Yeah. Uh, his methods include beating children with birch branches, tossing them into a basket on his back, and dragging them away to be eaten for Christmas dinner, or tossing them into the basket on his back and uh, throwing it in the river to drown the children. Fuck them kids! Or just straight up drags them to hell. So, Again! Fuck them kids! Yeah. He can apparently be appeased by schnapps and ladies with big naturals. <laughs> And tits and chops and tits and chops and tits and chops. I mean, that might, that might, that might keep Please me away. Please take my child. <laughs> Here, uns my titties. Do this body shot of snobs. Do this body shot. Mm -hmm. uh, so December 5th oh, is known as Krampusnacht or Krampus Night, mm. uh, where people dress up as the anti-Santy and scare other people. Love it. On this night, it said that Krampus visits each home and leaves bundles of sticks for the naughty children. And the next day, oh, Nicholas Tog, which is St. Nicholas's Day, Sinterklaas will leave presents for all of the good children, a.k.a. the ones his buddy Krampus didn't drag to hell. Fair. Uh, next up, from Austria, Germany, and Italy, we have Frau Perchta. Uh, in pre-Christian times, <clears throat> Frau Perchta was an alpine goddess, but over time was turned into a demonic witch with a grudge against filth and naughty kids. Filth, flarn, flarn, filth. Uh-huh. Uh, her appearance is said to depend on whether or not you had pleased her. In some lore, she's depicted as an old hag, uh, sometimes with one old face and one young beautiful face. Other depictions make her out to be a goat cobbled together with severed human body parts. Fuck. Yuck. Uh, it's also said that she has one giant foot from using a spinning wheel, and she can also shapeshift into evil's purest form, a goose. <laughs> a goose. Oh my god, that reminds me, I sent you a TikTok today of a fucking goose. I have not checked TikTok oh in a couple days. Oh my god. I am... A I'm hoping there are an asshole. 75, all, all of them are, because they are the worst. They are horrible. Um, in some iterations, Frau Perchta has one goose foot 
instead of one giant foot, which is just equally awful, and I hate it either way. Uh, she's also the inspiration behind Mother Goose, apparently, which is fucking terrifying. Uh, yeah. Hate it. Um, so if good kids are clean and tidy and celebrate Frau Perchta on her special day, she leaves them silver coins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're bad... She'll sneak into your room at night, disembowel you, and replace your organs with pebbles, straw, and garbage. Wow. Uh, oh, did I forget to mention that she's known as the belly slitter? Because she is. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Uh, even worse than that, she doesn't act alone. Oh, no, she's got sidekick? Which brings me to the... I had to write them down because there's words that are foreign and hard. Uh, the straggle. <laughs> which are from Switzerland, Germany, and Austria. So the straggle are basically perched as beastly minions that follow follow her from house to house. If you've left food out for them, they'll generally be like, oh, toit, and (laughs) leave you alone, (laughs) which is awesome. But nice. Uh, But if you forget or happen to house a naughty child, they'll bust in to rob and tear said child apart. So maybe don't forget to leave out some snacks for the straggle. Maybe don't. Maybe, maybe just don't do that. maybe don't, because then you're gonna have three demon Andy Sandbergs breaking into your house. Yeah, uh, the nephew last night was like, or night before, whatever time yeah. time. He's like, I, I, I got I gotta make a gingerbread house for Santa so that he can eat it when he comes to leave presents. I was like, buddy, just leave him some charcuts and a white claw. He'll be fine. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Santa's tired of cookies. <laughs> These you'll like this better, I promise. Uh, next up from Greece, the Kalikantzuri. Uh, Ooh, words. Uh-huh. Uh huh. According to Greek lore, the Kalikantzuri are demons that live underground all year and spend their time sawing through the tree of life that runs through the earth. Uh, once they're nearly finished, they take a little vacation to the surface and cause a little mayhem whilst up here. I love mayhem. Yes. Uh, it's said that they seek out any child born during the 12 days of Christmas, which, by the way, is not the days leading up to Christmas, I found out. It is, like, Christmas and after. Oh, it's, okay, Until sure. the new year, I guess, maybe, oh, or yeah, something. Okay. I was like, hmm, cool. Didn't really look into it much further than that, but yeah. It's not the build-up, it's the... Yep, the... the the waning. Yeah. Which, I mean, hmm, in some parts makes sense. In some, it doesn't. But sure. who cares? Uh, <laughs> honestly. Who cares? Time hasn't mattered in, what, two and Three a half years, years now? Yeah. Three years. So, eh, whatever. Um, so, they'll seek out any child born during those 12 days mm-hmm. uh, in order to turn them into a fellow underground dwelling demon. Mm. So, if you want to keep your baby a human, you got to bind them up with garlic and straw. Like, yes. you just got to wrap your baby in straw and garlic. Perfect. Yes. Keep those guys away. That's how I like my babies. <laughs> wrapped in straw. It will, uh, it'll be a really, really bad idea if you're Greek and happen to live, uh, I believe, in Iceland coming up later. Don't You don't want to prepare the baby that Or if way. your baby's a vampire. Right. Well, that's one way to find out. I know. Kill your fucking baby really that'll, quickly. That'll learn you real good. Be like, oh, <laughs> damn it again. But then it's seasoned. Which, again, I... We'll get there. I'll get there. <laughs> Don't you worry baby. about it. Yeah. Buttery baby. So it's also said that you can keep them out of your house by placing a colander outside of your front door. Just like right there on the stoop. Because they're afraid of colanders? No. 
because they love to count, but they always skip the Holy Greek number three. So they have to start counting over every time. So it's like one, two, one, two, one, two. Then it keeps them busy so they can't come into your house. So you put out a colander because they can't help not counting the holes. Yep. Got it. Uh, So in turn, yeah, that takes all night. means your house is safe until the next nightfall. Just call me on the ones and twos. Yep. Uh, Once the 12 days of Christmas are over, uh, the Calicansary return to the depths of the earth where the tree of life has fully repaired itself and they have to start sawing all over again. Huh. Yep. (laughs) And this one out of France is Hans Trap. So Hans Trap is most commonly found in the Lorraine and Alsace regions of France. Uh, He was said to have been around in the 15th century and was generally disliked by everyone that met him because he was a straight up dick. Oh, okay. Uh, And he is a, he's a human man, by the way. Human. He's a human man. Uh, uh, Any hoops. Uh, Hans was greedy, cruel, and selfish. He was just awful, awful, awful man. And he kind of sounded like the human version of Hedonism Bot. Ooh. Where he's just like, mm, I regret nothing. Just like, Mm-mm. yes, yeah. So he was all about himself and would get what he wanted by any means necessary. And with such grandiose wishes, he apparently turned to the devil himself in order to attain whatever his little black heart desired. Okay. Well, the Catholic Church caught wind of Hans's misdeeds and brought him before the Pope, who then excommunicated him for sacrilege. So while Hans was being shamed by the Pope, the townspeople took over all of Hans's property and his money, and when he returned, they banished him to live in the forest, alone, in a shack made of sticks, where he slowly lost his mind. Fuck off, Hans! Uh, while he was out there losing all his meebles, he became obsessed with cannibalism, and started wandering the land disguised as a scarecrow. What Yep. Uh, he would hide in fields in his scarecrow disguise and wait for somebody to come close enough so he could kill them and then eat them. I mean, uh, natural progression. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, I guess that's what happens when you live in a shack in the woods. I'm going to eat people now. Yeah. Uh, so eventually he happened across a 10-year-old boy who he stabbed with a sharpened stick, carried the boy's body back to his shack where he cut him up and started to cook him. But before he could eat one single bite, he was struck by lightning and killed. Uh, rumors huh. of uh, rumors of his death spread, with the townspeople believing the lightning bolt had been sent by God to punish Hans and keep him from killing more children. Uh, as the modern legend goes, Hans goes from house to house in his scarecrow disguise every Christmas, quote-unquote, scaring the life out of small children and drooling greedily over their tender flesh. Huh. <laughs> yes. That's a weird one. It is a super fucking weird one. Uh, Hans Trap. Fucking what? Sure. Uh, and this one is out of the Netherlands. It is Zwart, uh, Zwart Piet is yes. what it is. Yes. Uh, Good job. Thank you. Uh, Zwart Piet, or Black Peter, is probably the most controversial entry on this list. Ooh. So initially he was said to have been a demon that St. Nicholas tamed and enlisted as one of his helpers. So okay, like, sure. Uh, Pete would accompany old St. Nick during the night and was specifically tasked with stuffing naughty kids into a sack. So he's kind of like Krampus Light initially. <laughs> it's like just a little, little Krampus. Uh, unfortunately, that version of the story did not quite catch 
And another one did. Uh-oh. When a teacher in the 19th century changed Zwart Pete's origin story into something a little racist. Oh. A little bit. Uh, the teacher described the entity as Santa's quote-unquote frizzy-haired Negro servant. <sighs> My. Yeah. And this is a direct quote from literature. Uh, so that caught on like wildfire. Huh. And although there are some more modern versions that claim Pete was a chimney sweep or had been a slave that was freed by Mr. Holly Jolly himself, or, in fact, you mash them all together and he was essentially one of Santa's slaves. Um, yeah, all not not great. So plenty of Dutch people claim that Zwart Pete's black skin is because he's covered in soot, either from his work as a chimney sweep or because of all the chimneys he goes down on Christmas Eve. It was not cute when they decided to dress as the character during holiday festivities. Oh, yeah. I see where this is going. Blackface. <laughs> yeah. It happened. A lot. A lot. Now... However, Zwart Pete has largely been lost to time, and he's not really included in the festivities anymore, which I think we're all okay with. Probably best. Yes. Uh, there's a comedian named... Um, oh, God. Why can't I have... Why names? Why are names? Tell me who. Hang on. Who? I know it. I have to look at it. But her husband is from the Netherlands and was talking about... Zwart Pete, and she's like, Mm-mm, we don't do it because she is a black woman, and she's like, yeah, no, uh, okay. I don't, we don't, no, Mm-mm. we don't, we don't, we don't do that. She's like, yeah, she did a really funny bit on it. Um, let me see. Yes, yes I'm just trying yes. to find her name because I just had it. I just watched this. This, if you're a patron, you'll hear this later. But apparently, um, my name, whole situation, Michelle Buteau. Yes, okay. She's mm. great. Watch her comedy. Okay. She's very, very funny. Um, but yeah, she was talking about it. I'm like, I just wrote about him. I love you. Uh, and the next one. Oh, hang on. I have to look up. I had to write him down. There we go. This one is from Wales. Mm. Uh, Mary Lloyd. Just Mary Lloyd? Mary Lloyd. Now, it means specifically something, but I'll tell you in a second. I just want to tell you how this is spelled because... It's Welsh. Uh, M-A-R-I-L-W-Y-D. Mary Lloyd. Okay. Oh, Welsh is a fun language. So, it means grey horse. Okay. The origins for the grey horse are divided, but how she came about doesn't really matter because this kind of combines Halloween and Christmas, which I can totally get behind. Uh, said that the horse would rise from her grave and go door to door with hordes of zombified followers with one goal, coming into your house. In order to keep them all out, you had to best Mari Lloyd uh, in a battle of rhyming wits. So to commemorate the interesting tale, folks now take a horse skull, real, fake, decorated, however you see fit, put it on a stick and attach a sheet or white cloth to the bottom and... um, You'd cover yourself with it as you would parade through the streets wearing one of the world's creepiest puppets and go to different houses and challenge the inhabitants to a holiday rap battle, basically, (laughs) is what that is. Uh, The horse is sometimes accompanied by carolers in a bid to spread cheer, and it said that the ceremony is meant to symbolize the triumph of life over death and also rebirth. 
Uh, participants are usually treated with food and drink. And to be honest, that just sounds like a nice time. <laughs> right? But yeah, just like the zombie horse head on a stick. And you're like, yeah. And then you just go to someone's house. And you're like, hey, buddy. Let's do this. Right? I'm like, that sounds really fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm and not then, against it. No, and then you're just like, that was really great. I really appreciate that situation that just happened at me. Here's some fucking claws and some chestnuts. Goodbye. <laughs> because those are the two things I thought of first. Fair. <laughs> uh, this one's out of Germany, Necht Ruprecht. Oof. Uh, Neck Ruprecht's appearance varies from story to story. Sometimes he looks like Krampus, and other times he's just a normal human-looking man. Uh, according to German myth, he's Santa's most loyal companion and was either a farmhand or a feral child that Santa rescued and raised, which I'm going to go with. He was a feral uh, let's child. Absolutely go with that version. We'll always go feral child. So, ah, oh God, it just, it's just so good. Uh, Nick Ruprecht's thing is prayer, which feels ominous already. Right. He apparently asks children if they know any prayers, and if they can recite one for him, he treats them, uh, or he rewards them with treats like gingerbread, apples, and nuts. If they cannot... I was just going to say, but what if you can nay? He hits the children with a sack full of ashes. <laughs> are well, the, what, beat me with your ash sack. What are the ashes? I don't know. It just said sack full of ashes. I'm like... Since he's on this list, it's probably human remains, but we'll never know for sure. Or we probably will, and I just did not look hard enough. <laughs> Possibilities. All of them equally as possible. Uh, yep. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in an, Aust an Austrian version of the myth, the naughtiest of children are beaten with branches, stuffed into a sack, and thrown into the river. Hooray! Fuck them kids! Uh, also, this little, this little tidbit is for you, Randall. In the German version of The Simpsons, their dog is called Necht Ruprecht, instead of Santa's little helper, because oh. it's kind of the same thing. Hmm. Oh! Yeah. Okay. I was like, ah. Interesting. That's fun to know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and this another one from Germany. Uh, it's this is the Belschnickel. 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 Some people say Belschnickel or Belschnickel. I figured it was closer to authentic Belschnickel. Uh, the Belschnickel is said to have branched off from the legend of Neck Ruprecht. Okay. And is really similar, but different enough to earn his own entry on my list. So the Belschnickel is said to appear dressed in tattered rags and various pelts, carrying a whip. Uh, he doesn't seem to care who's been naughty or nice, as it's said uh, that he knocks on the windows of the local children, and when they come outside, he empties presents from his bag, and when the kids go to collect the gifts, he whips them. <laughs> <laughs> it is a trick. If you see him, do not. Just don't. He Just don't. Just don't do it. Uh, sometimes he brings Krampus with him. Oh, yeah. But he largely works alone. In some versions of the story, Belschnickel drags the especially naughty children into the forest, where he makes them, quote-unquote, pay for their mischievous behavior. Uh, how he does that is not specified, but after the other entries on the list, I'm just going to assume whatever punishment he's doling out is all bad. Yeah, yeah. All and it probably involves his whip, so. His whip, uh, a sack where he drags you to hell or throws you in the river. He might eat children. Whatever. No one knows. 
No, he just will make you pay for your mischievous behavior. Don't so be bad. maybe don't. Maybe don't. Be, don't be bad. Just don't. Uh, he was brought over to the states and popularized in Pennsylvania Dutch communities. Ah. In 1872, a Pennsylvania, or I'm sorry, Philadelphia-specific newspaper wrote that Mr. Belschnickel makes his personal appearance dressed in skins or old clothes, his face black, a bell, a whip, and a pocket full of cakes or nuts. And either the cakes or the whip are bestowed upon those around. Uh, in the 19th century, it was popular to go out belschnicking, a.k.a. getting shwasted, playing pranks, and vandalizing the city. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Why not? Uh, this one comes from France. This, okay, now I know I have to read this one because I'm like, that is not... There we go. There we go. Do you have your pronunciation cheat sheet on the back? You sure, sure do. do. <laughs> <laughs> I sure do. So this one is Père Fouettard. Ooh. So... Mm-hmm. He makes his first appearance in 1150. Uh, Père Fouettard, or Father Whipper. <laughs> And his wife were said to have lured three He's got boys. A wife. Yep, they were said to have lured three boys into their butcher shop, where Pear proceeded to rob them, slit their throats, butcher their bodies, and store the remains in a barrel so they could later be prepared as food. Oh. Unfortunately for him, Santa heard about his crimes and came to the butcher shop, where he resurrected the boys and forced their killer to become his servant for all eternity. Because Santa can do that. Uh, apparently so. Huh. At least in France in 1150. Sure. Uh, so Père Fouettard's job with Santa? It's real Jesus-y. Uh, to punish the naughty children by giving them coal and beatings. Yeah. Yeah. He's like... Fuck yeah. Santa yeah. says... Fuck them kids. Santa says absolutely no to child murder, but yes to beating them. I mean... Sure. Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, and this one is out of Germany. Another one. Uh, this is Struvelpeter. 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 That sounds dirty. It does, doesn't uh, it? Well, uh, so Struvelpeter, or shock-headed or shaggy Peter in English, okay. was created by German author and psychiatrist Henrik Hoffmann as a Christmas gift to his son in 1845. So according to an article from George Mason University... This is all a direct quote. Hoffman, a Frankfurt physician and father, wrote the book after realizing that there were none he wanted to buy uh, for his three-year-old son for Christmas. While many German parents today find the tales disturbing, those who raised their children during the early decades of the 20th century found them useful for childbearing. Or, I'm sorry, child-rearing. Uh, parents mention of a specific character in Der Struvel Peter. Struvel Peter. Uh, kids knew well served a shorthand criticism of objectionable behavior. So there are ten stories in this book, each detailing horrific consequences to things such as thumb sucking and poor hygiene. Uh, Struvel Peter stands idly by as the children in the stories burn to death, starve to death, and have their thumbs cut off by a roving tailor. Yeah, don't suck your thumb, because this crazy guy is going to cut... going to cut it the fuck off. He's going to cut him off with giant shears. And there are photos. Oh, God. They're like, it's... Yeah, oh, it's it's horrifying. Uh, so, as it turns out, Shrewel Peter's messy hair and long talon-like fingernails, which, by the way, are things he has, uh, were the inspiration behind the appearance of Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I read a couple of the stories. I'm like, oh, no. They're like Aesop's fables, kind right, of. Right, right. Um, 
But yeah, all bad. One boy refused to eat his soup, and he's starved to death. Uh, These stories are horrifying. They truly are. Look them up. It is. They are bad. Horrifying. Scary, scary, scary things. It's like, basically, like, if you don't take a bath, Dostruvel Peter will come get you. Kind of, right? but not really. I don't know. It was, it was odd. Uh, the next on the list is from Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. These are the Tomten. That's just how I wrote it, and I don't know why. No, I know. Uh, just... Or how I was... You went, like, completely opposite side of Europe with that oh, accent. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, I wasn't trying to do any accent. It just came out that way. Don't question me right now. <laughs> you know, apparently, words and names are very hard for me this past week and a half for some reason. Sure. So, anyhow, the Tomten hail from Scandinavian lore and look like your typical adorable garden gnome. Oh. Uh, it's believed that each home has their own Tomten who act as caretakers and protectors of the house, children, and livestock. Cute, right? Right. Uh, yeah, well. Wrong? Yeah. These little Weird. guys live in Incorrect. The, uh, Incorrect. They live in the burial mounds oh. with the dead. Oh, okay. Which means something can't be quite right about them. So the Tomten are easily offended and quick to anger. <laughs> Uh, and you really, really, really do not want to be on the receiving end of their wrath. Uh, they're known to box ears, hide important objects, break your shit, curdle your milk, tie your shoelaces or your cow's tails together. Uh, all of them seem more annoying than anything, but that's not all the Tomten are capable of. No, no. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Depending on the severity of the perceived slight against them, the Tomten have also been known to kill livestock, drive people insane, and bite. And because we can't have nice things, their bites are poisonous to humans and usually lead to death. Uh, it's Fucking be- get it. It's best to leave them little treats to keep them happy, just in case. Because we can't have nice things. Nope. 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 No, we cannot. Uh, and this one is from Bulgaria, Serbia, and Turkey. Bulgaria. Yep. The Karakonkolos are said to look like a cross between Sasquatch and the devil. Oh. Which... It's quite a cross. Right? Which I'm like, Krampus? Now you again? Right? It's all real Krampusy. Yeah. Uh, In Turkey, it said that these guys like to stand on street corners in the winter, and in order to pass them, you'll have to solve his riddles. If you give an acceptable answer with the word black in it, you'll be free to go. If not, he'll send you to the beyond with a single punch. (laughs) Just... (laughs) Knock you the fuck out. Just one punch straight to hell. There, there's your ticket, right, right here. Bing bong, got him. Yep, yep, yep. So, in other parts of the world, the Karakonkolos love to mimic the voices of your friends and loved ones oh, no. to call you out into the snowy night. No. Uh, sometimes they'll hypnotize you and leave you to wander in the freezing cold until daylight. Uh, in Serbia, they'd lure, lure you outside, jump on your back, and force you to carry them around until the morning when you'd be nice <laughs> and exhausted. Honestly, they kind of just sound like the drunk girls you run into at the bar in the bathroom. Right. It's just like, I don't know you. My name's Tiffany. Get your piggyback ride. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, like, I, I don't know 
why anyone would do this, but it said that if you invite them into your home, uh, they'll be compelled to imitate your behavior. So if you set some thread on fire, the beasts will light their own fur on fire and run screaming from your house looking for water to put themselves out. What the fuck? Too many rules! Right? Like, if... There's too many steps to these things. Well, they're from three different places, so it's different regionally. So bizarre. But, like, here's an idea. Just don't invite them into your house. Right? Mm. I feel like that would be one way to avoid a lot of those problems. But if you run into one, you better be good at riddles. Right? You better be good at riddles. I am not. So I'd be like, well, just punch me and send me to hell, I guess. (laughs) Just, yeah, finally, get it over with. Just, like I said, bing bong straight to hell. Uh, and, okay. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, boy. The final stretch. Oh, God. This, and, Yes. These are great. So, <laughs> and they all come from Iceland. Oh boy. Uh, first up, Grilla. Yes. So Grilla is a giantess and in some stories also a troll okay. with cloven hooves and 13 tails. Ooh. Uh, she has 13 children and oh boy, I'll get to them. Uh, she had three husbands as well, but they bored her to tears, so she killed them and ate them. Fair. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to do it. <laughs> Uh, the foul-natured, uh, foul-natured has kind of a sixth sense which she uses to detect and track down naughty children on Christmas. Uh, once she finds them, she puts them in a sack, takes them back to her mountaintop home, where she then boils them alive for her favorite meal, stew. All right. Kitty stew. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, doesn't live alone, by the way. No, she has 13 kids. She, well, yeah, not only does she share a mountain lair with 13 children, she has a cat. <laughs> of course, he's not just any cat. No, 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 no. Three no. dead husbands and a cat. Mm-hmm. And 13, 13 sons. Ooh, all boys. Yep. Uh, no, 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 no. So her cat is the Yola Katrin. Ooh. Uh, he's a big boy. Oh. That remember, she is a giant. Yes. So her cat. Gotta be a big fucking cat. Also huge. Uh, he roams the countryside looking for anyone that hasn't received new clothes on Christmas so he can tear them apart and eat them. That is so oddly specific. I know, but there is a reason for it. There is an Icelandic tradition where everyone who finishes up all their chores on time is given new clothes. If you don't receive any new clothes, the Yolakaterin assumes you're lazy and therefore will eat you. Okay. I didn't make the rules. No, sure didn't. Uh, he was, I just read them. Yep. He was also mainly used as a threat to get kids to finish their chores, because if you didn't, you would be sacrificed to the giant cat. That which is, is my new threat. Which is slightly less terrifying home. than his owner coming to sniff you out and make stew out of you. Now tell Mason about and Roman about the giant cat that's going to come and eat them if they don't do their chores. Yep, Grilla and the Yola Katerin. Yeah. And then finally, we get to Grilla's children. The Yule Lads, a.k.a. the Yule Chads. (laughs) (laughs) Yule Chads! Oh my god! Oh god, please, please tell me about the Yule Chads! I'm, I'm gonna. So, they look like gnomes, think the seven dwarves, but criminal pranksters that maybe eat people. Uh, In some variations of their story, they're just as horrifying as their giant mom, but in others, they're kind of just annoying. Uh, It's said that Icelandic children are visited 
by one of the lads each night leading up to Christmas, where they'll either have gifts or rotten potatoes left in their shoes, depending on if they were naughty or nice. Huh. Mm hmm Now, let's get to know these little weirdos on a more personal level. Oh, boy. Oh, they are great. Number one, sheep coat clog. Uh, a peg-legged sheep fancier. His fancying is impaired by his peg legs. Ha! Does that mean sheep fucker? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I think it's sheep fucker. I think it is. And he just can't get enough traction with his peg legs. <laughs> traction or thrust. Yep. He just can't. Because, mm-hmm. like, imagine without your. Well, That's where he needs the traction. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's for the thrust. I can imagine, like, was he peg legged from the knees down or the waist down? I don't know. He's a, he's a small dwarfish man, so I'm going to say either way, it's not going to be great. No, no, because like if you got pegs in your knees, you lose all power like, for thrusting. That's right? going to be between like, that's like what, maybe 12 inches of difference, and it's not going to make it like from leg, the whole leg. Well, if I'm it's thinking, half of it or the whole thing. How much mobility do you have with this peg? Because, like, if you're here down with you're, a peg, you've got a little bit of trouble. Buddy, you are overthinking this. No, one. I know you I am. You are overthinking I know it. I am. I don't uh, need to be analyzing a sheep fucker, but here we are. No. And I, whose mom is a child-eating giantess who lives in a mountain. See, I'd rather details. talk about her. Oh, she's horrifying, by the way. <laughs> Look up pictures of her. It's awful. Uh, but that's just the first one. I have 12 left. Oh! Yeah. Uh, this one is called Gully Gawk. He hides out in ditches or gullies and waits for an opportune moment to run into the cow shed and lick the foam off the milk in the milking buckets. Oh. (laughs) Yep. And this one, this one is great because his name is just Stubby. Stubby? Mm Mm-hmm. So his name denotes his stature as he is unusually short. If you're... For a gnome. uh, If your pie pan is missing, you can bet that Stubby has stolen it to eat whatever pie crust was left behind. Uh huh. Spoon liquor. Guess, spoon liquor. Guess what his annoying situation is? Licking you say spoons. He licks spoons. A liquor and thief of spoons. Oh, he's a thief too. Yep. He'll he ta- steals them and licks them. He'll steal them and he'll lick them. Pot scraper. Petty thief of leftovers. Okay. So if you go to work and your leftovers are gone and it's around Christmas time in Iceland, is that fucking guy? All of this, and then there's the sheep fucker. Yep. Uh, bowl liquor. <laughs> Uh, this one hides under your bed and waits for you to absentmindedly put down your bowl so he can steal and, yes, lick it. How do we go from, like, things kids do when mom's making a cake to, to fucking, fucking a sheep? <laughs> I don't know. God damn it. I don't know. Uh, door slammer? Oh, did, did you just fall asleep? Not for long. This guy plans on slamming doors all night long. Uh, slamming doors and fucking sheep. Let's do this. This guy oh, and his brother. Right? Uh, skier gobbler. Oh. So. Skier gobbler? He gobbles skiers. Give me a minute. <laughs> there will be no skier, a type of yogurt, left yeah. in your house on the night the skier gobbler visits. So, yeah, he's just going to come steal all your fucking yogurt. <laughs> Probably cheese. Who knows? Oh, here's a good one sausage swiper. <laughs> he's going to steal your sausage. I hope it's well hidden. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> Uh, window peeper. Oh, I'm going to save him for last. Okay. No. I love that you led with the sheep fucker, though. I just put him, this is a list that I copied and pasted specifically because the descriptions were hilarious. So good. Girl, thank you. And 
yeah. So, so good. Window peeper, he's watching you right now. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Uh, candle stealer, he follows children around so he can steal their candles, leaving them in the dark. Oh, he's no. like, bye, little fuck. Uh, meat hook. This oh, fellow shit. always brings a hook along with him so he can steal meat. And then doorway sniffer. <laughs> Uses his incredibly large nose to sniff through doors as a leaf bread, which is a traditional Icelandic oh, Christmas bread. Shit. So he's just basically toucan sanding himself to these uh, specific Christmas treats. And that's it. Uh, happy holidays, my sweet beeflings. Um, beeflings. Yep. <clears throat> Remember to behave yourselves, you magnificent heathens, and maybe leave out some meat for the demons so you don't get dragged to hell. Oh, fuck yeah. And that's that. Uh, my sources right quick for nypl.org, Jack Sheriffkin, bbc.co.uk, Paul Hawkins, Ranker, Lisa A. Flowers, Hornet.com, Daniel Videreal, Gizmodo, Sirike Lamar, Wikipedia, chnm.gmu.edu, Mental Floss Articles by Jess Zimmerman and Miss Salinia. Scaryforkids.com, Atlas Obscura, Sarah Elizabeth Troop, TheSpookyVegan.com, Sarah H. Jahair, and ScaryLittleChristmas.wordpress.com, another article by Sarah Elizabeth Troop. She's the one that made that list, and I love her for it. Before you get started, uh, the yeah. food is basically here. Yeah. And we can do that little pastry tasting. Sure. Okay, go get it. Between, between this. Um, I'm hoping he's not going to go drop it off at the other number three, because every single fucking time that happens. No, nope. Lana's, Lana's, nope. Lana's, Lana's barking. barking. He's here. Oh, my God. That is so good. All those, like, oddly benign, you know, yeah, candles the, and spoons and The Yule Chads. And then there's the sheep fucker. That's why I call them the Yule Chads, because they're like a little roving band of drunk fraternity brothers. Oh my fucking god. Mm-hmm. That was great. I thank that you. And thank great. you, Desiree, for suggesting it. Yeah, no, that was awesome. As a kids. Christmas gift to all of you and myself, because it was a list which you know I love so very, very much. Oh god. But yeah. So fucking good. She, just, I just the sheep fucker though. That, right? That one just it mwah, mm. Chef's kiss. Forgot what was his? What is he called? Sheep coat clog. Sheep coat clog. Mm-hmm. Clog. Yes. Sheep um, coat. But yeah, in some versions, they also eat children. Sure. But they are mostly just chads. Hence the are you Yule chads. Again? No. So uh, I heard voices. I was like, oh. Some people that he was very nice. Some people don't pick up on cues, like when I'm have the door cracked and I'm pushing my barking dog back mm-hmm. and he's just holding out <laughs> his bag for me to pull this out of like the, the heat control bag. Right. I'm like muscling the dog back. I got the door open an inch. He goes, I just wanted to make sure you got it and I didn't put it on the cold ground. And I'm like, I appreciate this, but, there's a but I can't open my fucking door right now because my dog is trying to get you. Yeah. Right. That's like, I... On like all of my delivery apps in the notes, I'm like, please don't knock or ring the doorbell. Just they never fucking read it. Sometimes they do. Most of the time, they do not. Anyway, okay. now what 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 do we have here? Y'all are not allergic to hazelnut, right? Hell no! Give me them nuts. 
Give me these nuts. So. I yike nuts. One of them fell off. Okay, well. That's all right. We'll live. I'll take that one because I'm touching it. Okay. Um, all right. So. Yes. But. I'm gonna, I, I, they, they, these are packed in here kind of tight, and okay. I'm trying not to like smush the cream. Oh, cream smushing. Which I'm gonna do with mine. Okay. Oh my gosh, that thing is lovely. Okay, so there's little paper bits on the side that you can kind of grab onto. Make note, don't eat it. Okay. Okay, all right, here, whole box for her. Whole box para ti. Mm. Oh, well, these things are just pretty. So oh. I like, yeah, I like to pop the puffs off and eat them first. Mm. <laughs> well, that was... <laughs> trying In to... Portland, this is Petite Provence on Division. I like creamy things. And if you go there, and enough of you go there, and tell them that you heard about it on a podcast, they might give us money. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. That's nuts, isn't it? Mm. Mm-hmm. That is so good. Okay. Hold the on. French might be assholes, but they make a damn good dessert. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just remember when I was there, um, the hotel we stayed at was recommended by a friend, and it's above the cutest little bakery. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I'm really glad we were only there for like two nights, because uh-huh. easily could have lived off of every item in that bakery. There was a tiny little bakery around the corner of the Airbnb we were staying at. We got a Claire's and brought them to the Louvre. Nice. And ate them while just looking at the Louvre. Ooh, it was nice. really cool. The Louvre stressed me out. Mm-hmm. She large. <coughs> All right, it's also oh, because it's it was the biggest museum in the world. Yeah. It was raining that day, and there was a like a run going on. Oh. So a lot of that area was closed off. So everybody just went to the Louvre because it was right there, uh-huh. and to get out of the rain and wait out the race. And my anxiety medication, they hadn't refilled it before I left because I was, I was leaving and it was like three days early and they're like, yeah, your insurance said no, so we can't refill it for you. I'm like, it is 72 hours. So I had a real bad time on my last trip out of the country because Mm. I did not have my medication. Mm. And so being inside of the lube with like, just all the people, all the people that just constantly all up in i'm like oh and that's one of the things that can trigger my like a panic attack is people's lack of spatial awareness mm-hmm. i'm like mm, it's too many people i'm freaking out but then my friend and i were like well we've seen everything we needed to see let's go to the mcdonald's in the loop <laughs> we did there's a mcdonald's in the loop mm-hmm. nice yeah well, it was the least busy restaurant that was in there and we're like, we're like we just want to get a little snack before we go out to dinner tonight, because there is also, like, nothing else around where we were staying, aside from the bakery, but it was closed. So, oh. I have a Soup Spanoons story today. Soupy Nooners. Soupy Nooners. 
So today I'm going to talk to you all about Sharon Kinney, a.k.a. La Pistolera. Mm -hmm. So now some of you or maybe all of you may be saying, hey, D, who the fuck is Sharon Kinney and what the fuck did she do? Well, my babies, <laughs> I'm going to tell you. So Sharon Kinney, a.k.a. Jeanette Pugliese, or as she was known in Mexico, La Pistoleta. Uh, is, because as far as it's known, she could potentially still be alive, but I will get there, an American murderer and prison escapee who was convicted in Mexico for one murder and is suspected of two others in the United States, one for which she was acquitted at trial. But again, I will get there. And as of 2021, Kinney is the subject of the longest currently outstanding arrest warrant for murder in the history of Kansas City, Missouri, and one of the longest outstanding felony warrants in U.S. history. Mm. So let us go forth. I think I saw her name recently because I looked up who is the current public enemy number one, not knowing <laughs> that that was a discontinued thing. And her name was out there for like, I think she's in the top ten most wanted fugitives. Yeah, so Sharon Kinney, born Sharon Elizabeth Hall. Uh, she was born on November 30th, 1939 in Independence, Missouri to Eugene and Doris Hall. When she was in junior high, her parents moved the family to Washington State, but by the time she was 15, they had returned to Missouri. In the summer of 1956, at age 16, Sharon met 22-year-old college student James Kinney at a church function, and the couple dated regularly until James returned to BYU, Brigham Young University, in the fall. Sharon wanting very much to get the fuck out of Missouri, was all about finding herself a man that would and could take her and get her the fuck out. So when James left for college, she wrote him a letter telling him that she was knocked up. Yep. James took leave from BYU and returned back to Independence, where he married Sharon on October 18th, 1956. So I'm assuming that they did in fact have intercourse and not just a soaking session or two. Oh, soaking, gross. <clears throat> because he's <laughs> believing that she's pregnant. Uh, the couple's marriage license falsely identified Sharon as being 18. And remember, she's 16. And um, where we go? Oh, being 18 and a widow, though she later refused to talk about that all. And Sharon just told people the time that she had been married when she lived in Washington to a man who later died in a car accident, which is horseshit because she would have been 14 years old. So the new couple held a second and more formal wedding the following year at the Salt Lake Temple in Salt Lake City, Utah, after Sharon had completed the process of joining the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. After their wedding... The Kinneys returned to Provo, Utah. James resumed his studies at BYU, but put them on hold again at the end of fall semester. I don't know why. The couple went back to Independence where they got jobs. Sharon babysat and worked in some stores. James worked as an electrical engineer at Bendix Aviation. And although, <laughs> so Sharon claimed to have miscarried the child that brought about their marriage. Weird. Hmm. Weak. She uh, did soon become pregnant again, which tells me that poor James does indeed know how babies are made, but that first pregnancy is suspect as hell. In the fall of 1957, Sharon gave birth to a baby girl they named Dana. 
Sharon was reportedly an overspender who expected the finer things out of life, but on James's salary, they lived in a rented home next to his parents, and then eventually they did upgrade to, nope, Bitcoin. Why does that say, I think it's supposed to say bitchin'. Uh, it says Bitcoin. Autocorrect. <laughs> I typoed. Mm. Upgraded to a bitchin' ranch-style house that they had built in Independence. James worked the night shift at Bendix, and Sharon spent her day shopping, and then later with other men. Shocking. Yeah. Uh, by the time the couple had their second child, Troy, whom I'm guessing his parentage could be questionable, because Sharon was carrying on a regular affair with a high school friend named John Boldies. By early 1960, James was contemplating divorce, partially because of Sharon's spending habits and partially because he strongly suspected that she was cheating on him. She was. He spoke to his parents about the possibility of divorce on March 18th, 1960, telling them that Sharon had agreed to give him one if he allowed her to keep the house, gave her full custody of their daughter, and paid her $1,000 in alimony a month, which for 1960 sounds like a fucking lot. Yeah. Right? Okay, one more time? $1,000 in alimony, 1960. Like a month? Yep. That is a lot of money. Yeah. I might have to... Okay. Yeah. James's parents, devout Mormons, were absolutely not down with that plan, and they told him to stay his ass in that marriage. Sharon, on the other hand, was also thinking about a way out of the marriage, and, uh, well, according to John Baldees, she offered him $1,000 to kill her husband or find someone who would. Okay, by the way, real quick, $1,000 in the $1960. Yeah. Now is about $9,400. Right. A month. Yeah. He's an engineer that works night shift. That's fucking nuts. Right. So, now, Boldies did later claim that she may have been joking, but my guy, she was not. Mm-mm-mm. So, now, according to Sharon, on March 19th, my son's birthday, 1960, at around 5.30-ish p.m., she heard a gunshot come from the bedroom where James had been sleeping. When she went to the room, she found their two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Dana, on the bed next to her father, and she was holding one of James's gun, a high-standard twenty-two pistol. Eey. And James, bleeding from a gunshot wound to the back of the dome. Yeah. Right. Well, Sharon called the police. James was dead by the time the ambulance got there. Um, The police were unable to recover any fingerprints from the notably well-oiled grip of the gun. And a paraffin test for gunshot residue was not performed on either Dana or Sharon. Hmm. Why? I don't know. Because it was the 1960s. A woman could never! Right? Multiple people, including family and neighbors all told the police that James had often allowed Dana to play with his guns. She's two. Yeah, a toddler doesn't need to be handling. And in a test by investigating officers, Dana did prove to be able to pull the trigger on a gun matching the one that killed her father. They gave her a gun. They're like, she can't pull the trigger. The fuck she couldn't, because she could, and she did. Mm. So the pistol that killed James Kinney was taken into police custody and never given back to Sharon, despite her efforts to reclaim it. 
She later had a male friend secretly buy her a 22 caliber automatic pistol. BT dubs. And when the friend told her that he had registered the gun in her name, she was like, hey, so could you maybe change that and just put it under anyone else's name other than mine? <laughs> um, right. So, foreboding. Anyway, investigators ruled James's death an accidental homicide. Okay. And the investigation into his death was closed. James was buried. Sharon collected his life insurance valued at... 29 grand, which is around $230,000 today. So then on April 18th, Sharon went out and bought herself a Ford Thunderbird using some of the insurance blood money from her husband's death. And that is where she met one Walter Jones. Mm. Walter was a salesman at the dealership where Sharon went to buy her vehicle. And the pair started a relationship very soon after. Sharon saw Walter as the perfect prospect for hubby number two. There was one problem with her plan, though. Walter was married and not interested in leaving his wife Patricia in any way. Hmm. That's right, y'all. Weird how that works. Walt was married to his high school sweetheart, and they had two children. He's like, nah, I'm good. So Sharon invited him to go on a trip with her that May, to which he declined. And when she got home, Sharon informed Walter that she was pregnant. And that he was the father. Suspect. Highly questionable. Ma'am, you can't wish yourself pregnant. (laughs) She was, however, under the impression that her pregnancy would lead Walt to leave his wife and be with her. Well, wrong. He instead immediately broke off the affair. Y'all want to guess how that went? Probably bad. Yeah. Real not good. See, Sharon saw an obstacle in her way, and she was fixing to remove it. Uh Uh-oh. According to Sharon's later testimony, on the afternoon of May 26th, she contacted Walter's wife, Patricia, at her place of employment. Oh, boy. And told her that Walter was having an affair with her sister, meaning Sharon's sister. Yeah. Her imaginary fucking sister. (laughs) The ladies agreed to meet up later to speak in person. Terrible idea. And Sharon said that she would drop Patricia off at her home afterwards. And that, my friends, would never fucking happen. Mm-hmm. So Patricia never made it back home that night. And according to Walter, he filed a missing persons report the very next day, as well as calling people that he thought may have seen his wife. He did get a lead when he spoke to one of uh, Patricia's friends that she carpooled to work with. He told Walt that Patricia had gotten a phone call that day from an unnamed woman who wanted to meet up, and she had asked her carpool friend to drop her off at a street corner in Independence, which he had done, and the other people in the car that carpooled with them had seen a woman waiting for Patricia in another car, but they did not recognize her. They did, however, give a description of the woman to Walter, and he immediately fucking called Sharon. Asked Sharon if she had seen and or spoken to his wife, and bold as fuck, Sharon said, yep. She said that she had called his wife that day and asked her to meet up, and that she was going to tell his wife about the affair, which she said did happen. But according to Sharon, she last saw Patricia where she dropped her off near the Joneses' home, speaking to an unknown man in a 1957 green Ford. Mm-hmm. Lies. Walter was not okay. He asked Sharon to meet up with him, which she did, and he insisted that she give him more details about where his wife was 
And he later admitted going a little bit far and he had her in a chokehold and held his car keys to her throat like he was going to slit her throat with his car keys. I mean, effort. Sure. Not a great look. Not a great. Mm -mm, not. I mean, mm -mm. keys. I mean, I'm sure you could do it, but damn. You can. Probably, probably just poke the jugular a bit, but... Well, which is kind of enough. Right, so, I once, mean... Once it's open, it's open. Yeah, so, after she left Walter, Sharon, for whatever fucking reason, called her old lover, John Boldies, and asked him to help her search for Patricia. Oh, boy. Why are you looking for this man's wife, Sharon? Suspect. Well... Shortly before midnight, just hours after her meeting with Walter, Sharon and John Boldies did find the body of a woman in a secluded area approximately one mile outside of Independence. Weird! According to Boldies, he had been the one to suggest searching the area where they found the body because it was a spot that they had often gone on their dates before. And I call horseshit. Yeah. The body, dressed in a black sweater and yellow skirt, was soon identified as the missing Patricia Jones. She had been shot four times by a twenty-two caliber pistol. Hmm. Although the fatal wound was a shot to Patricia's head, entering near her mouth on an upward tra trajectory. It's a hard fucking word. She also had one that went through her abdomen and two penetrating gunshot wounds to her shoulders in a downward trajectory. So one went up, two went down. Powder burns on the hemline of her skirt, which had been raised to her waist, indicated that the gun had been fired from close range at least once. Initial reports and investigation placed Patricia's time of death at approximately 9 p.m. on May 27th. She was buried on May 31st. Oui. Investigators immediately began to question Sharon, because Walter's like, hey, you know, here. And uh, her and John were the ones to find the fucking body. So they also questioned Walter and John Boldies. All three questioned on May 28th. Walter and Boldies both gave written statements admitting that they had both dated Sharon, and they both agreed to take lie detector tests. Sharon gave an oral statement to police but declined to sign a written one or take the lie detector test mm. because you're a lying bitch. <laughs> she was questioned again on the morning of May 30th and then Boldies again on the 31st. The scheduled polygraphs for the two men were performed on June 1st, and both men were deemed to have been truthful in both of their statements. Sharon's brother Eugene was also questioned on May 31st, but he also declined to answer any other questions. While all the suspects were being questioned, investigators were searching the crime scene for the murder weapon and the bullet that had passed through Patricia's body. A 22 caliber slug was found buried in the ground where her body had been found, providing evidence that at least some of her wounds had been sustained at the place where her body was found. Mm -hmm. Although, investigators went so far as to drag the bottom of nearby bodies of water, the gun was never found. Buildings near where Patricia Patricia's body was found were also searched for blood and gunshot evidence due to the theory that she had been attacked somewhere else and then transported to where she was found. Sharon was arrested at her home on 11 p.m. on May 31st for Patricia Jones's murder. Coincidentally, it was the same day as Patricia's funeral. Also that day, the Jackson County Sheriff requested that prosecutors consider a second charge of murder, this one for the death of James Kinney. Sharon's lawyers found uh, filed a writ of habeas corpus, meaning just bring her before so that you can do the charges and then release her. 
on, you know, until court. And a hearing that afternoon resulted in her release on $20,000 bond while she awaited her preliminary hearing originally scheduled for June 16th. The police were able to rule out the 22 that killed James as the murder weapon in Patricia's death because that gun was still in the possession of the sheriff's office. However, a man that worked with Sharon came forward and admitted to having secretly purchased her that new 22 at her request in the beginning of May. The police were unable to locate that gun in question when they searched her house, so they didn't, did find an empty box that they believed had once held the gun. Sharon at first claimed to the investigators that she had lost the gun on a trip to Washington, and then she said that the gun had just disappeared. Walter was taken into custody on June 2nd as a material witness to the case and was freed the same day on bond. Sharon's arraignment on July 11th resulted in denial of bail, but the Kansas City Court of Appeals struck down the ruling days later based on the prosecution's reliance on circumstantial evidence, mm. basically saying, yeah, well, you know, we're going to let her go on bond because we really don't have a lot on yeah, like, her. Yeah, but also... So she was yikes. freed on a $24,000 bond on July 18th after a <clears throat> delay in her trial due to her advanced pregnancy. Turns out she wasn't lying after all, and she was pregnant with Walter's baby. Oh, no. And Sharon gave birth to a daughter she named Marla Christine on January 16th, 1961. Although charged with both murders, Sharon was tried separately for the two crimes. Her trial for the murder of Patricia Jones began in mid-June 1961, with jury selection beginning on or around the 13th, and the trial started a few days later with an all-male jury. The prosecution was unable to firmly establish that Sharon owned or had once had the weapon that killed Patricia, though both Sharon's known pistols... Wait, what? No. Though both Sharon's known pistol and the one that fired the bullets that killed Patricia were both twenty twos, So Roy Thrush, the man who sold the pistol to Sharon's male friend, led the police to a tree that contained what he claimed to be bullets that he had fired from the gun that he had sold her. However, when those bullets were extracted from the tree, tests showed that they were not the same that killed Patricia. Oh, the prosecution rested its case, and on June 21st, after calling 27 witnesses, Sharon's defense, which took less than two days and involved 14 witnesses other than Sharon, who did not testify, uh, they focused on breaking down the state's claim of modem and means. Modem? Nope. Motive. <laughs> modem and means. Yep. Arguing that she had no reason to kill Patricia, lies, and that the pistol um, that she was alleged to have owned had not been proven to be the murder weapon except we all know better don't we well so anyway after just over an hour and a half of del deliberation the jury citing just too many loopholes in the prosecution's case acquitted sharon kinney on the murder of patricia jones sharon was then returned to jail however that same day to await trial for the murder of her husband so then the jury selection for James Kinney's murder trial began on the 8th, January 8th, 1962, which did include one woman this time. And the prosecution's case rested largely on the theory that Sharon had paid for his murder, supported by the grand jury testimony of John Boldies. Boldies, though a witness for the prosecution, weakened his testimony on the stand during the trial by claiming that Sharon's offer to pay him $1,000 to murder James could have been a joke. It fucking wasn't. 
Further prosecution testimony alleged that the Kinney's marriage had been on the verge of falling apart at the time of James's death and that Sharon's adultery had been the cause of all of that. Uh, and that Sharon had known that she would collect her husband's life insurance if she were still his wife. So the defense focused on the circumstantial quality of the prosecution's evidence, noting that prior police investigation had determined James's death to be accidental. So the jury was obligated to assume innocence on the defendant's part, no matter how unpleasant they found her moral, char moral character to be. The defense also attacked the reliability of Boldiza's testimony, calling him a poor, mixed-up kid who would sign anything. Kinney's attorneys presented testimony from witnesses supporting the viability of the theory that Dana had shot her father, including the statements from the neighbors that, you know, Dana always played with the guns, blah, blah, blah. Well, y'all, this trial ended quite differently than the first. And on January 11th, after five and a half hours of deliberation, Sharon Kinney was found guilty of the murder of her husband. And in April of 1962, she was formally sentenced to life in prison, and she was sent to the Missouri Reformatory for Women. <clears throat> now, despite the verdict, and for whatever fucking reason, James's family continued to believe the best of their daughter-in-law, telling reporters on the day of the verdict... We can't find it in our hearts to say anything bad about her, and we still don't feel that she committed the murder. Hmm. Sharon herself told reporters that she felt the verdict was a mistake and that she regretted her previous enthusiasm for having a woman on the jury. Oh, okay. Huh. Well, well the all-male jury was like, yeah, no, she's fine. Let her go. She's a woman. She could never. She thinks that having this one woman on here is what fucked her up. Well, the following week, Sharon... Well, that, that woman was like, bet. Bet. She did it. She <laughs> totally like, fucking did this. I want to murder all you motherfuckers right now. That so the following week, Sharon's lawyers requested that she be released on bond, supported by a community petition signed by 132 supporters of her innocence. The motion was denied on the basis of, oh, I don't know, first-degree murder not being a bailable offense, as her lawyers should have fucking known. Yeah. Presiding Judge Tom J. Stubbs also told Sharon's lawyers that he felt their involvement in such a petition. <laughs> what? The Honorable oh. Judge Stubbs. Judge Stubbs. <laughs> Judge Stubbs, right? This is good. This He's is like, good. yeah, no, uh, this is highly fucking improper. No. 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 She's convicted. No. no. Gavel, She's gavel. Been convicted of first degree murder. We're not going to fucking. She can't get out on bond. Shut the. What? No. I already gaveled it. I gaveled it, <laughs> goddammit. That's exactly how being a judge works. Well, I gaveled the gavel. End of story. Right? Well, these motherfuckers weren't giving up. And a subsequent defense motion requested that the conviction be vacated because. The jury had delivered its verdict based on surmise and speculation rather than substantial evidence. Mm. So they listed a series of procedural mistakes that Sharon's counsel said had taken place before and during the trial. These included a juror taking incomplete notes. Okay. Uh, disputes over John Boldiz's testimony. And an incorrect number of potential jurors being provided for selection. Well... Judge Stubbs, sick of their fucking shit, denied the motion in April 1962, but they appealed to the fucking Missouri Supreme Court. Oh, boy. Which, in March of 1963, reversed the fucking conviction. Oh, no. And ordered a new trial. 
Sharon was denied an opportunity for bail, but that ruling was overturned in July and she was released again on $25,000 bond. Posted by her brother Eugene and Sharon and her children moved in with her mother and awaited the start of her new trial. Huh. This bitch is like a cat with yeah, nine fucking lives. Yeah, this is such a clusterfuck. Oh, it's not done. I'm just getting started. <laughs> I'm just getting started. So, Sharon's second trial for the murder of her husband began on March 23rd, 1964. As jury selection got underway that day in an unusually long jury selection process because they didn't want to fuck it up again, the day lasted 14 hours. Jesus Christ. Ugh. Just the jury selection, starting at 9 a.m. and not ending till midnight. The eventual jury, all men again this time, were immediately sequestered, and just a few days later, a fucking mistrial was declared after it came out that a law partner of the prosecutor had once been retained by one of the jurors. Because apparently you can't do that. What? Wait, what? The, okay. So the, they declared the a jurors... mistrial because it came out so that the prosecu- the law partner of the prosecuting attorney, one of their law partners, mm-hmm. had once been retained by one of the jurors. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you're on the jury, you can have absolutely zero connection to so, anything happening. Right, in there. right, right. I mean, okay. So, second trial. Mistrial. Oh, balls. Okay. So you'd think they would vet that beforehand if they're going to have. Especially when you took 14 fucking hours to pick your jury. There's a lot of things in this case where you'd be like, I would think they would have thought of that. (laughs) But of course they didn't. Like, how would a lawyer not know? My favorite is that the motion for her first degree murder offense being bailable, somehow she got out of it. Judge is like, you can't bail someone out that just got convicted of first-degree murder. But they fucking did. Wild. So now we're, we're headed to the third trial here. Sharon's third trial for the death of her husband began on June 29th. Assistant Prosecutor Donald L. Mason declared at jury selection that he intended to death qualify the jury, meaning uh, that he challenges any juror who automatically opposes the death penalty. Not saying that they were going to go for it, but that's just how he wanted to do this, so fucking whatever. Jury selection, once again, took more than 12 hours. Boldiz's testimony in this trial remained contradictory as to whether he believed that Sharon's $1,000 offer to kill her husband had been intended seriously. But he added this time that after his death, Sharon had asked the Boldizes, no, asked that Boldiz not tell authorities about her offer. I'm fairly sure this dude's an idiot. Uh, I am one million percent sure that John Boldiz was an idiot. I mean, you're an yeah. unsmart man, a completely idiotic and unsmart man. So, for the first time, At any of her trials, Sharon took the stand on the last day of this one to speak for herself and deny all of the fucking charges. Now, I don't know how any of y'all are going to believe this because I really fucking struggled with it myself, but the all-male jury deadlocked 7-5 to in favor of acquittal in this trial, resulting in a second fucking mistrial. God damn it. (laughs) Fourth trial. 
Good lord. Fourth this trial. This is fucking stupid. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> Fourth trial was scheduled for October of 1964. However, Sharon, who is still ooting a boot on her $25,000 bond, decided in September that she was going to take off with her new boyfriend, Francis Samuel Pugliese. Buddy. She left the kids with James's father, the audacity, her dead husband, okay, and traveling posing as Pugliese's wife under the name Jeanette Pugliese, they took off to Mexico. Of course. The couple later said that they had gone there to get married. Now, under the legal terms of her bail, Sharon was permitted to leave the country, which does not seem right at all to me. Not even a little. But her contract with the company that posted her bond prohibited her from leaving Missouri without written permission from the company's agents. So she done fucked up with them, at least. Now, after crossing the border, Sharon... And Francis, who registered at a local hotel there called the Hotel Gin, again, as husband and wife. Sharon said that she felt unsafe in Mexico. So she went out and bought a fucking gun. Which, which, as it turns out, was totally fucking unnecessary because they had already brought two with them. Why? I also feel like that's a violation of her bail. Or her bond, rather. It should be. But you this bitch would was, think... She was convicted of fucking first-degree murder and got bailed out. So, now, in one of the most bullshit stories you'll ever hear, on the night of September 18th, 1964, Sharon left the hotel alone, and there are conflicting reasons. One was uh, to go get some money because the couple were running low. The other... (laughs) Just go get some. Yeah, bank. You know, the other was to get some medicine that she had needed. While she was out, she met a man named Francisco Paradis Ordonez, a Mexican-born American citizen at a bar, and she left said bar with him to go back to his hotel room. While she's there with her new man? Yes. Hmm, Soon-to-be husband. Gotcha. So, according to Sharon's account, which is absolute fucking nonsense. Yeah. She said that she went with Ordonez to see some photographs that he had offered to show her in his hotel room. For what point and purpose, madam? <laughs> right. However, no. she said when back in his room, he began to make some sexual advances toward her, and she was forced to fire her gun at him. Of course she was. In an attempt to protect herself. So, pages are stuck. Sharon stuck to her story. And later said that she had absolutely no intention of harming or killing Ordonez, just that she had intended to scare the hell out of him, but her bullets somehow struck him right in the chest and did indeed fucking kill him. Weird. So, hotel employee Enrique Martinez Rueda heard the gunshots, goes to the room, opens the door, and when he did, Sharon shot his ass too. (laughs) (laughs) Right? This lady is fucking out of control. <laughs> right? I'm kind of here for it, but like, <laughs> god damn. But she hit, She gets him in the shoulder. He's shocked as fuck, bleeding. He's going to take the fuck off, but he had the foresight. He locked this bitch in the room. Nice. Went and called the police. The Mexican police, absolutely not believing Sharon's bullshit, Theorized that she had gone out that evening intending to rob someone. Yeah. Yeah. 
And she had chosen Ordonez as her victim, and he didn't give her the money. She shot him, so Sharon was immediately fucking arrested on charges of homicide and assault with a deadly weapon in Mexico. Not a super great place to get those kinds of charges. In Mexico. Not a not a super good start nope. to your trial. Nope. So now this bitch, <laughs> still maintaining that she had not intended to harm Ordonez and that she had fired her weapon at Rueda because she thought that he was going to attack her. The police searched her purse, found a gun, 50 bullets, and then they searched her room at the Hotel Gin where they found two more guns and a hell of a lot of supply of bullets. They took her boyfriend slash fake husband, Francis Pugliese, into custody, initially holding him without any fucking charges because Mexico. And then they later said, oh, File charges of entering the country illegally and carrying an unlicensed gun, which fair, fair enough. But guess fucking what, y'all? Guess fucking what? One of those guns that was found in the couple's room that night was later proven through ballistics to be the same fucking gun that killed Patricia Jones in 1960. Oh, hey. good. But because Sharon had already been acquitted of that crime. She could not she be, be retried again. Double wow. Now, isn't that some fucking shit? Truly. So, Pugliese was held in a prison in Mexico City. Sharon was initially placed into a woman's prison. The couple were arraigned on September 26th and held for trial. In October, Sharon's Mexican attorney filed a recurso de Amparo basically as a habeas corpus stating that the Mexican government was violating her constitutional rights by holding her for shooting in a self-defense case basically the request was denied oh why <laughs> Mexico and both Sharon and Francis were tried in the summer of 1965 Pugliese was cleared of the charges against him and deported back to the U.S. But not Sharon. Oh, no. She was convicted on October 18th for the homicide of Francisco Ordonez. Despite rumors that she would receive probation and be deported like Pugliese, Sharon was instead sentenced to a 10-year prison term for the murder in Mexico. Damn. Mm -hmm. Hell of a place to get charged. When she was officially notified of her sentence, she said that she would appeal her conviction because, I mean, it's worked for her before, right? Right? Well, did I mention that she was in fucking Mexico and they weren't having any of her white bullshit? Because, yeah, the appeal that she did file, uh, rather than overturning her sentence, lengthened it. The Superior Court, which heard her case, <laughs> said, Nah, white devil. Uh-uh. That's fantastic. We're going to uphold your murder conviction and we're going to give you three more fucking years on top of it saying that her original sentence had been just too lenient. Sharon was returned to the woman's prison to serve the entirety of her now 13-year sentence, and it was there that she was nicknamed La Pistolera. Now, if you thought that this story couldn't get any more fucking bananas, wrong! It can, and it will. Oh, of course. On December 7th, 1969, Sharon was absent from the routine 5 p.m. roll call in the prison, did that bitch try and break out of his prison? It wasn't necessarily officially noted. They're like, oh, well, maybe she's pooping. I don't know. Whatever. However, she failed to show up at the second roll call later that evening. Well, my babies, this bitch escaped. 
escaped. <laughs> and the news of her escape was not reported to the Mexico City police until 2 a.m. the next morning. Fantastic. They're like, oh, we got to find this bitch. We have got to find this bitch. And then they were like, okay, we can't find her. So guess what, guys? So initial police speculation was that Sharon had bribed a guard to look the other way while she escaped the prison. And there was an unusual blackout that had been reported at the prison on the evening and the approximate time of her escape. Investigation showed that a door that should have been locked at all times had been left unsecured. Further questioning of prison guards and administration showed that the prison was generally lax and understaffed. Mm. A manhunt ensued, initially focusing on the northern Mexican states due to the belief that Sharon may have been heading for the last known whereabouts of a former inmate who she was BFFs with before their release. So she thought they thought that, okay, well, she's going to go that way. The U.S. authorities, including the FBI, were also alerted in case Sharon may have been attempting to work her way back to the U.S. The Mexican news reported numerous theories about her escape, including that she had bribed the prison guards, she may have enlisted the help of a supposed boyfriend she had who was a Mexico City policeman, and that her mother had been involved in the escape, or that former Mexican Secret Service agent had assisted in her escape, uh, that she may have disguised herself as a man and just walked out. A more modern-day theory speculates that the Ordonez family helped her escape, and then they fucking killed her. Ooh. So the manhunt for her was short-lived, and by December 18th, the Mexican Secret Service and the Mexico City District Attorney's Office were both reporting that they no longer were searching for the escaped prisoner. Uh, while the federal district attorney was reporting that responsibility for the hunt belonged to the city district attorney's office. Investigators speculated that Sharon had probably already crossed the border from Mexico into Guatemala, and they were like, fuck it. They noted that she was fluent in Spanish and after years in Mexican prison, and she could therefore get along very well in any nearby Spanish-speaking area of the world. So, bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she We're... has all of Central and South America, plus Spain and Portugal. Bye. Yeah. Mo- a lot of Europe, really. Bye. Bye. So they're like, we're done. Whatever. We're done. So Sharon's arrest and conviction in Mexico did have implications for the status of her Missouri legal entanglements. Because she was being held in Mexico on October 26, 1964, which was the scheduled date for her fourth trial in the murder of her husband, her bond was revoked, and when Sharon failed to appear for the fourth trial, a warrant was issued for her arrest in October of 1964. It is still, to this day, an outstanding warrant 57 years later, making it the oldest outstanding murder warrant known to exist in Kansas City. Sharon's status in the Mexican system also remains outstanding, though authorities have pointed out that at the time of her escape, jailbreak was not a crime under Mexican law. So if she were recaptured there, she would only have to serve out the remainder of her outstanding sentence. And 57 years after her escape, Sharon Kinney remains at large. Her whereabouts and ultimate fate are unknown, and if she is still alive, which is entirely possible, she would be 82 years old today. That is the soups fucking banoon story of Sharon Kinney, aka La Pistolera. Jesus. Right? My sources are many, many a fucking wiki. Unsolvedmysteries.fandom.com and murderpedia.motherfucking.com. Nice. Yes. 
Yes. Just good. What do you think? You think she's still out there or do you think she got got? Well, if I may. Yes, absolutely. She probably would have needed to go to Europe in order to get, well, actually, I don't know. Because like throughout Mexico, Central and South America, you can get really, really cheap health care. And then, obviously, Europe is all socialized. So, I mean, she very easily could be alive and well as an 82-year-old woman. She could be. Because, I mean, if she has even a little bit of money, I mean, I don't want to make any assumptions because I don't want to be a fucking racist, but I have to imagine that there's probably not a whole lot of background checking happening with employment in Central and South America. Yeah. Well, and she clearly had no problem finding men. Right. So, so, but she's probably lying very low as far as murdering people. Uh, you know, I would like to say so, uh, yes, but I mean, she, she, why, why stop then? I mean, she was, it was clearly her jam. She I love that 22. Yeah, I would feel like there would be more of an effort to publicize the fact that there are a bunch of dudes being killed via gunshot wound. Yeah, fair. Throughout Central and South America. Like, I feel like that would be a much more notable thing yeah depends on where you are maybe it does it does like we don't we don't hear about central and south american serial killers all the time if they're even still a thing a regular thing well and i don't know i mean in 1960 what four was it okay so what what form of identification did you need to cross the border i mean probably just i don't even think a passport Right. So I have no. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine it's a lot more lax than it is today. But I would also assume that I mean the borders were notified because I know the police, the Mexican police, they were watching all. No, it's it. She was in Mexico City at that point. I mean, it, it huge, huge, and it's not like they had computers and and all of these things right. but they so were it's... they were watching the bus stations and the border like right, as much but, as they could i mean pay off a dude to sit in a truck while you cross the mexican border into what would it be what panama well she prob she clearly had no problem escaping the jail right like you can get around if you're if you're ready to wheel and deal you can get around mm mm-hmm. mhm and she clearly was someone who liked to wheel and deal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, wouldn't be an issue for her to get, I mean, down to the fucking southern tip of uh, Chile. Yeah. You know? Like, she could be so fucking far away from there, living in a tiny-ass village, mm-hmm. sewing fucking baskets together for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Not infeasible at all. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not even a little bit. Especially if she was able to hop a ship over to Europe. Yeah. Like, even way less of a chance of getting caught there. Yeah. I mean, or she's dead because she's 82. Or she's dead because she's 82. I mean, did she, in that story, did you come across, like, any notable health issues that she, yeah. No. Mm -mm. So... I mean, there's there's a good. It's it's very likely a straight up fifty fifty shot that she's alive, mm-hmm. but it is extremely feasible that she's alive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I mean, she she could be in the U.S. Who knows? Her kids are here. Probably less likely. I would agree. A lot harder to. 
yeah. a lot harder to maintain. Do you have an answer? Any kind of stuff? No, not fully. Uh, but before 1952, passports were optional for U.S. citizens to travel abroad and return to the U.S. Mm-hmm. So that was, you need, I think you did need a passport. Yeah, but uh, like she was saying, she was already in Mexico yeah, she's and already escaped there. prison. But so. like, if she can sneak out of there, she probably sneak out of and into wherever she was. Right, and I mean, th- this isn't to make any kind of point on it, but it's also... Not insanely difficult to sneak back in. Right. You know? She also could have gotten fake documents. Exactly. You know? So. Get fake documents, get a work visa, f- take a flight into the U.S., and then from there you just let your visa expire and never go back. hmm Well, and she was clearly very good at getting men to do shit for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. But I would think that she seems smart enough to not go the fake document route because that's a... That's a fairly easy that's an easier way to get caught true but was it easier how much easier would it have been in 1964 real easy that shit's all handwritten that's true it's all that fucking handwritten. It's all handwritten all of it yeah that's very yeah no, that's a good hard point. to say right hard to say hard to say not telling not knowing nope so yeah soups spinoons right that was a soup dope story also uh for listeners you don't know this. <laughs> D wrote this eleven page story in two days. <laughs> yeah. Amidst Christmas shopping and grocery shopping. And finishing writing my Patreon. And working. <laughs> like you didn't you start this like yesterday? Yeah, you started this. So not even two days. No, I would have started this. I didn't start it yesterday. I started it the night before. After so What's you started today? this Friday night. Today's Sunday. Today is Monday. Today's Monday, sorry. Today's Monday? So you started this Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah, and I finished it yesterday. Yeah. I finished it last night. So you did this in probably around 30 hours. Probably. Amidst everything else that you do. Yes. That's impressive. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was, that was not only you did a story, you did a big fucking story. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and as soon as I leave here, I am going back out to shop some more. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for John to bring my car back so I can go do things, too. I'm fuck. I'm fucking savage, man. I'm in beast mode. This is, I'm, I'm in the last 72, almost hours, I got a Christmas tree, got it decorated, got the house decorated. I got my shopping list done for food, and I've started and almost finished my shopping Finished a Patreon, recorded a Patreon, written today's episode, recording today's episode, <laughs> and then I'm going to go home and try and wrap presents tonight. Yeah. By the way, can I just say, I went to Fred Meyer yesterday to get stuff, and it's okay to go there now because the unions have finished their negotiations. Oh, good. I hope yeah. it went well. I should ask my daughter. That is that is now done. Um, and I was really, really taken aback by how calm it was in there. Oh, God, good. Cause I it was not that. nuts in there at all yesterday. Mm-mm. And I figured it was going to be insane. Yeah, yeah, I went yesterday after we recorded. Trader Joe's, too, on a Sunday evening oh, no. was fine. I drove by on the way here and I was like, oh, no. Oh, was it bad? Oh, boy. Okay. I'm glad yeah. I got it done yesterday. Yeah, then. it was... I got all my I got all my, my dessert stuff like, downstairs tra- ready to go. Trader Joe's parking lot. Is always a nightmare. Oh, yeah. It was like, 
I couldn't see a single spot. I will say the Trader Joe's right over here mm-hmm. on 39th and Holgate, their parking lot is the least pain in the ass yeah. of any I've ever been to. Uh, that one and the one on Johnson Creek. Yeah, that one's pretty good too. Yeah. But like the Hollywood one, fuck that place in half. I never have any reason to go over there, so I don't. I used to live in Cully, and that uh, was the closest Trader Joe's, yeah. and it is a nightmare getting in and out of there. No, 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 no. The one when I lived uh, downtown, the closest one was the one on like 20... 23rd? Yeah, 22nd, 23rd. Yeah. God, that, that one is a literal nightmare. Yeah. The parking lot, they're like, here are four spots. Yeah. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> Having a battle royale. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. I was like, oh, well, we're just not going to, we're going to drive somewhere else because yep. this is not worth it. Mm-hmm. I will spend more time waiting and finding a parking spot than shopping for yep. my things. So. <sighs> well, we done done it, y'all. We did done we did done, done, done it. Do we it. done done it, y'all. I think we've got one more left before the new year. New one year. more regular one yep. left, yeah. New year, same year. Whatever. <laughs> It's all the same now. It is all the same. It's all the same, same now. Time One big 2019. Some, uh, 2020. That too. T- somebody pointed out that the next year. 2020. Yeah, 2020 2022. As in 2020 also. And 2022. It's years. all been one great big 2020. No, like I stopped yeah. counting at 2019. <sighs> That's when everything ended. It's just done. This is just, we're just floating around now. I don't know what the fuck's happening yeah, anymore. Yeah, hats off to the Doomsday Glacier. Anyway. <laughs> Doomsday Glacier. <laughs> All right, well, uh, y'all know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe, share, share, share. Uh If you would like some exclusive motherfucking content, go become a patron on our Patreon. And if you're not following us on social media, what the fuck are you doing with your life? Like, how is that? We have Instagram and Facebook and Twatter. And y'all, the challenge still stands. It always stands. Uh, We've only had three people do it. Yep, only one has sent their address. Okay. But three people have done it. You will be, like, send us a video or a photo. A video, video is best. Not a photo, a video. Uh, prove it. Um, but it will end up in a highlight reel on our Instagram page. Uh-huh. Uh, showcasing how much we love you for loving us. <laughs> so you need to go yep. to any store that has multiple online devices, whether they be laptops, tablets, or phones. All of the above. All of the above. And you need to, I'm actually going to put a minimum on it, because if they just do one, then no. Well, that's not the same. It's not the same. Minimum, what, five? Minimum five. Minimum. Minimum five. You need to show that you have subscribed to our podcast on five devices in any store of your choose. We don't even need to know the store. I just want to see a video of you in a store subscribing to our podcast on a minimum of five devices. Yes. And we will send you something. We're still thinking of what? We're still... We what? have stuff to send. We do. Um, but, we want to make it good. But some of the people already have it. We have more of uh, more of these guys, right? Or was it the patches that we have a ton of? I've got some of the patches. we got the patches. Some of them, yeah. Yeah. Not, not a ton, but yes. We can get a few patches out. How many fuck you Bob stickers we got? Uh, well, those go out in Patreon packages anyway. Right, but for non-patrons... For non-patrons, there are two different kinds. Um, but Five devices to... gets you a normal. Uh-huh. Fifteen okay, gets, gets you, you a holographic. A, a holographic. <sighs> We've got a couple magnets still kicking around. Okay. Uh, we got bottles yet? 
No, those are be in the process of being made. Okay. Yep. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll, we'll send you some stuff. We've got we we've, we've got stuff, but you know, we'll we'll figure it out. We'll figure some stuff out and send it to you. Y'all both have full pastries to get through. I know. I'm I can I I inhaled a bunch of Wetzel's pretzels on my way here, but I do want to take it with me. So I'm gonna need a Ziploc. Same. Okay. Same. Cool. Because that was so good. It's it so good. good. I ate the thingies off top though because they're really good. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well. Till next time, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Bye. Bye. Hats off to the fuck you club. And today, a very, very special fuck you to Bob. I actually have one based on your story. Yeah. Uh, A very special fuck you to the U.S. judicial system. (laughs) Because Jesus fucking Christ is it a nightmare. Missouri. Do better. It's Missouri. The country. Do, do better. better. Just. She, like, lawyers, read books. Figure out what what bail and convictions look like. Uh, they, they hear, can right? We, can we end on a, on a fuck you that doesn't make me real bummed out since nothing has changed since 1960 That's fair. something? Um, yeah, the hero here was Judge Stubbs. He's like. Judge Stubbs. The no. honorable Stubbs. <laughs> honorable Stubby. Um, Love that guy. Right? He was see. like. Did you. What about, are you, did you go to law school? Guys, I gambled. I got it. Yeah. A special fuck you to the sausage swiper. (laughs) Don't touch my fucking sausage, you piece of shit. Wait, can we, or the goat fancier. I was going to say, just how about a special hats off to all of the Yule Chads. Yes. Yule Chads. Fuck you to the Yule Chads. Welcome for that one, though. God damn it! I was. That's why I saved them for last. Cause oh fuck it. Like I was. You were getting your pastries, and yeah. I was like, they just reminded me of a group of drunken fraternity brothers, and I just. That's why I had to. Cause it's like something you would run into in college. Like some turd yeah. is just like, just like stealing your fucking spoons. You're like Trevor. What are you doing? She's like. Hey, Bryce, leave my fucking chicken sausage alone. I I have that for my week, man. Aiden and Brayden, stop looking in my windows and stop slamming the doors like you live here. Tyler, get the fuck off my goats. What are you doing? Chad, stop fucking my sheep. Knock it off. Nipples. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>